Welcome back to the Chris Massey Show. It's the first show of the 2017, so Happy New Year. I hope y'all all have a blessed, prosperous, productive 2017. And what better way to start it off than with a close friend of mine. Welcome back to the show, Quantez Presley. It's good to be here. Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, man. And I'm glad uh, we got a chance to cross paths so I can uh, bring you back on the show. I know a lot has changed. Uh, I'm proud of you, man. I see the growth and everything. So we get right into it. I understand you're on break. Uh, you're in seminary school. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So and you have what? Uh, how much time left? Before? About a year and a half left. It's a three year program. I'm right in the middle of it now. And uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. I'm uh, still kind of adjusting to uh, having um, served in the political arena for six, seven years, uh, used to working uh, 80 hours and uh, having my time. It was really a 24-7 job working politics. So to be a student now and have to get back used to being in the classroom and writing <laughs> papers and, and then to enjoy this extraordinary break, as I was sharing with you when, uh, before we started, uh, that I've been off on break for about a month and a half. And so just been able to take this time to reflect and, and get myself prepared for uh, the coming semester. So looking forward to it. Right, right. Yeah, man, I'm happy for you. It's great to see everybody's evolution. You know, uh, we've been we've been friends now for a long time, man. Like the irony, I thought about it on my way over. I'm like, the last time you was on my show, I was in my twenties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just great, man. It's like honestly, I feel that now I'm just getting started. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of people is afraid to hit that thirty mark. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I actually embraced it and. It seemed like my life is a steady progression. How's it been for you? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, we're hitting that 30 mark, and, uh, you know, some people would say we've hit the sweet spot. Because when you talk about ageism, when you judge people by the age they are, you either judge by being too young, and that usually is people who are 30 and younger, <laughs> or you're judged by being too old, and that usually is people who are 40, 45 and older. So we're entering into that decade in our lives where it's really a sweet spot, where, you know, people kind of expect you to kind of produce, you have... You know, figure it out yourself a little bit more. Your circle is getting a little bit smaller. What you're contributing is getting more specialized. And so mm -hmm. it's been a joy because the, the you know, transition that I made uh, from working in government to, you know, going to seminary was motivated by the fact that 30 was on the horizon for me. And I was like, uh, you know, I can't keep doing this two job, two years here at this job, three years here at this job, trying to figure my thing out. And so when 30 was approaching, it was like, well, what am I going to do mm -hmm. for the next 10, 15 years? What do I see my major contribution in life being? Uh, and, you know, the pool of ministry uh, was very uh, evident. And so, again, as I think I stated on the last time we spoke, you know, I always made the promise after an experience I had when I was a teenager that if I was to do ministry, I would make sure I was prepared for it. Right. Uh, so seminary was uh, non-negotiable if I was really going to take seriously my assignment to do ministry. So I've done that, and it's, 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 been, it's been a journey. I did a math um, uh, for my semester uh, about how much reading I was doing and mm -hmm. it broke down to about 480 pages of reading a week <laughs> which is an adjustment you know just all sorts of reading and reading and reading and then writing uh, but it's been great to really try to help me to uh, navigate um, how I want to be able to help my community and the things that I think we need to really begin to address and, and discuss right man that's that's amazing you know some people don't read 480 pages in a year yeah yeah you know it's intense. 
Yeah, man. But that's what shows that you love what you're, you're actually serious about this journey. Yeah. Because, you know, it's you can't be productive if you're being forced to, if you're not, if mm-hmm. your heart isn't in it, mm-hmm. you know. So I admire that, man. My bad, what are you saying? No, I was going to say, it definitely has to be a passion. I mean, you're not doing <laughs> 480 pages a week <laughs> just right. because. So it definitely has to be fueling you to be able to make it through that. But, yeah, I definitely uh, feel, uh, I know, I know uh, that this is what I've been called to do, and that, that motivates me uh, even when things get a bit difficult at times. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, it's important that you realize that you have a purpose mm-hmm. in the sense of that. I had this discussion with someone actually last week. And we were talking about how many people don't realize that they have a purpose in life. Yeah. I feel that it's some. I feel that everyone is sent here to do something that only they can do in this mm-hmm. unique way. No matter how subtle or extravagant, that's you, and that's the way. I feel that we're sent here to make a living off of our God-given abilities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just look at the design of the universe. Um, whether you want to call it a supreme being, whether you want to call it God, whatever, however you uh, envision divine, you can tell that the creator was not wasteful. You know, every little nuance, the small inches and degrees of things mean something. You know, if the moon <laughs> right, was right. a degree off, you know, it would have all sorts of impact. And so each life that has uh, had the privilege of existing and to live and thrive uh, has a purpose to fulfill. And as you said, you know, uh, oftentimes in our society, we have truncated uh, how people's purposes can play out, largely motivated by capitalism. So it's really just about your production, how much money you make, that people feel like they have lived out their life purpose. But it can come through in so many other ways. You know, you can be the uh, foster care parent, you know, that was there mm-hmm. to be there when the child needed assistance. You could be the janitor in the elementary school who made sure that the kids had uh, gym shoes in order to walk to school every day. I mean, it can be large and small, but we all have uh, a purpose as to why we're here. And it's those who are really blessed who uh, um, can know that purpose and, and be able to, to fulfill it. Yeah, man, I agree with you. And that reminded me of uh, a quote that uh, one of my favorite speakers delivered. Actually, I think you you said you worked with him or he was one of his students, uh, Dr. Cornell West. Yeah, yeah. Um, professor West is my professor. That's dope, man. I told him I said what up, man. Will do. And, um, but yeah, right when I was about to leave college, this one sentence stood out. He said, what is the, qual- uh, the one question he said, what is the quality of your service to others? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that has stuck with me since I was 20 years old, because that's how I realized that I'm, that's how I gauge whether I'm doing the right thing or not. Like, is this just benefiting you? Yeah. And, or, or who else is going to benefit from your actions and your, uh, your, your vision outside of you? And then as long as I'm incorporating others and we all win, it's, it, it, it works. Yeah. No, one of my, uh, mentors through reading, uh, a uh, fellow Morehouse man, a theologian by the name of Howard Washington Thurman. Uh, he had a quote similar to that, but here's a, excuse me women, because the language uh, is not gender inclusive, but he had a quote that says, uh, a man's life is his very own, but a man's life is not his alone. Mm. And so it's like this duality that, yeah, we are individuals, we do have autonomy about what we do with our lives and our own purposes, but we have to remember that that's connected to somebody else and to something else and to a larger community. And so I think it is important for us to, you know, keep that in mind is that, you know, yes, you can achieve individual success, but true success is not how you are able to uh, enhance yourself, but truly how you're able to advance somebody else. And so 
I definitely feel like that's important in this season mm-hmm. that we're getting ready to enter into. You know, I um, have been trying to prepare myself. So going back in, uh, being not a, I'm assuming uh, that your listeners uh, uh, would agree with me that you know our the political environment we're going to uh, get ready to enter in. It's going to be a bit of a transition. I'll, I'll say <laughs> it that way. Uh, right. And, and in doing so, it's going to be important for us to create solidarity. Uh, in our community so that nobody falls through the gap that during this time when things are going to be challenging and tumultuous that we do have infrastructure and support systems uh, available that we can care for each other and um, I think that you know the things that we're preparing to do uh, in ministry for the church and think ne- really needs to step up uh, and to improve its credibility uh, in helping those who are the least and the last the left and the looked over um, and so this is really what I'm preparing myself to do uh, going back uh, to school, I'm taking a class on the lessons of lamentations because I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of lamenting going on uh, in the season coming up. I'm taking um, uh, the revelations uh, given to John because I got a sense that there will be some uh, apocalyptic sort of end times <laughs> things that we'll need to kind of grapple with. You know, I'm taking a class on the Holy Quran. You know, all of these conversations about Islamophobia and mm-hmm. uh, the respect of other people's faiths to be able to stand and, and grapple with that. And so I'm really trying to uh, gain tools and resources that will make um, the contribution I make to ministry uh, relevant for the times that we live in. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it all comes down to is like a, a lack of information, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel that that's important because we we often discuss that everybody has different learning methods. Mm-hmm. Everybody is not, like we talked earlier, everybody is not going to go out here and seek the proper information, even though they know they can benefit from it or mm-hmm. might even need it. So it's very important and we appreciate and need people like you to actually deliver facts, mm-hmm. you know, in, a, in an open-minded, relatable way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's really important, particularly in this time. I think that the cold language is fake news, fake news, fake news, and all of these things. And and I think that this is really important for us to uh, be able to provide uh, people in our communities, uh, people who are of the black and brown communities, minority communities, uh, marginalized communities, uh, to be able to coalesce around uh, what we know to be true, which is that we hold uh, power and agency in order to make change. Our histories, our individual histories and collective histories uh, demonstrate that. Uh, And so we have to lean in that uh, even more uh, in a time when the opposition seems, um, uh, places such an urgency on us uh, to do so. And so I'm really, really looking to be a catalyst uh, in the faith community uh, to be able to help us to um, show a different light because one of the things that's been driving me crazy right and, and don't mean to hijack but the, one of the things that's been driving me crazy is that you know there seems to be uh, varying uh, ideals of what Christianity is you know when I was looking at the election results and they said you know eight out of a ten evangelical Christians voted for uh, uh, Donald Trump and they did so because they felt like uh, he aligned uh, with their Christian values. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was troubling for me because the Christianity that I ascribe to and I believe to, not so much. I mean, he would be like <laughs> right. the antithesis of uh, what I believe in. And what it showed me is that people have interpreted crypt, uh, the scriptures in different ways, that you can look at the very same scripture and come out with a different concept of it so that those in the evangelical community can support a candidate who seems to be about protecting the rich, who seems about taking 
uh, healthcare away from citizens, which seems about banning uh, people based off of what they believe in. Uh, while my scriptures, the, the Bible that I read, talks about taking care of the poor and looking mm -hmm. after those who are sick and wounded and, and to uh, invite the stranger in. And so how does these two things coincide? And so what you mentioned about you know giving people information, the real resources to be able to uh, uh, navigate uh, these terrains is, I think, is the responsibility of me as a minister to help people to be able to uh, rightfully dissect the scriptures so that they can really know what what this thing, faith, Christianity, religion, spiritual spirituality is intended to do, which right. is where we start the conversation as helping somebody else. You know, how are you contributing and enhancing the life of somebody else? Right. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. And I think that also goes into why a lot of people are turned off by mm -hmm. religion or the concept of believing in God because they are misinformed. Yes. And because I have those discussions with people and they're actually like open minded discussions Yeah. because I'm like a, the informal style type person. And they're like, oh, when you put it that way, I'm like, I'm actually just talking with you because I had I learned from from reliable sources yes. and I learned how to properly, like you said, properly interpret what I'm reading yeah. and I didn't have it what not with like a, a biased agenda yeah you know and so and that's why I think it's very imperative you yeah know? and one of the dangers that we wrestle with in seminary is that oftentimes people who go and get a seminary training uh, there's this conversation about uh, what we can then share with our people you know so we get this information we are wrestling with these concepts but then we say well our people won't be able to handle that I can't bring this to my congregation because they won't be able to handle that and so we uh, make um, uh, preliminary decisions about what our people can handle which in a way is a little bit disrespectful you know? agree, <laughs> but yeah. what is their capacity to handle give them the truth and then have faith in uh, their ability to be able to uh, manage that truth that is being given. And so, you know, I, I think that there is, there has to be a better job uh, all, in all sectors, really, again, because of uh, the prevalence of uh, people giving, uh, what did the lady say these things was, uh, alternative facts about things. Uh, yeah. It's important <laughs> for us uh, uh, to, stand, to stand on truth, you know, and yeah. to stand for the truth. Uh, uh, so that we can uh, move together to a place that would be beneficial for us all. Yeah, man, that's a great point because I feel that, honest, like in a, in a respectful way, you know, it doesn't matter if people get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like the truth is the truth, you know. I feel it can only. I feel that the truth can only be accepted or rejected. It can't be disputed. Yeah. And so, you know, if you, if that means you're gonna be temporarily discomfort, uh, uncomfortable, then that's a personal issue, but I'd rather have a few uncomfortable individuals than a majority that can benefit from that and, pro and then you know, go on to pass on that, mm -hmm. that knowledge and help people evolve because a lot of people are afraid of the truth because you're responsible for what you know. Yes, exactly. And that goes into that what ignorance is bliss yes, thing. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah, so some people would rather not know as opposed to be uncomfortable temporarily and then face it and then evolve yeah exactly exactly and so like um you know one of these truths that you know i've been trying to figure out a way to uh, work against because you know, as we've stated a few times in this conversation you know the credibility of religion and particularly christianity in the american context uh is at risk 
And um, one of the reasons, particularly in our community, that it is a risk is because people uh, portray Christianity as the white man's religion. I mean, mm -hmm. I know that uh, many have heard uh, that said before. And I believe that, you know, I saw that. And, and there's some truthfulness to it. Obviously, mm -hmm. there is a, a deep uh, relationship uh, that uh, um, African people enslaved here in America had with Christianity when they were brought over here. Right. Uh, but in my studies, I was really uh, baffled and really encouraged to find out that is not <laughs> that is not mm -hmm. the white man's religion. That that it really started in Northeast Africa. That the right. early church fathers were African from Alexandria and from Egypt and. And uh, it wasn't until about fourth century when Constantine accepted Christianity as his religion that it began to change uh, from a uh, religion that was uh, deeply embedded in that North, uh, um, Northeast African community mm -hmm. to one that was then pushed and proffered by the powers of Rome and, and Roman imperial forces. Right. And so I tell people to say that Christianity is the white man's religion is liking to say that rock and roll is the white man's music. Like, yes, they have co-opted it and taken <laughs> right, it yeah. over, yeah. Uh, but the creators of it, the founders of it, is not white, it's, it's us. Yeah. And so same way with Christianity, and so I'm working to try to help us to reclaim what we believed, how we lived out our faith before it got co-opted and presented in a way that it was a tool and an instrument of power to oppress people. That's not how it started. That's not its original history. And so, again, in that truthfulness and reclaiming these things, uh, I think will illuminate that in a way that people can uh, begin to find themselves using uh, their faith more so than, than they have in the past. Yeah, man. It's like I'm with you. And it's, I think about that as well because I try to be I try to talk with people instead of to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the one of the things that makes it kind of. You know, you have to be kind of careful, not have to, mm -hmm. but you know, if you want results, you have to find a common ground so people can feel that they're being talked with and yes. not condescending, yes. <laughs> not in a condescending yes. tone, you know, so I have those discussions though, man. It's like, to me, it seems very simple. Mm -hmm. Like if you say like, what region were they in in the Bible to keep it simple? Yeah. Like, and like yeah. especially when you go to like Jesus, you mm -hmm. know, so it's like. And then the sites people who like to quote things, they like to quote scriptures, but put their, like, I don't like when people put their own twist on it. Yeah, yeah. And, because you know how that can go. Basically, it's like you're trying to make it your own. It's like, mm -hmm. just decipher exactly what the, what exactly translated, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that, I think that, that, I think that has like two levels to it, you know? One, I feel like there should be uh, some latitude in the people, a person being able to interpret what those scriptures mean for their life, because all of us are different. We all need different things in our lives. And so to be able to take a text or a scripture and make it applicable to your life, I think is important and useful. The problem becomes is that when you take that application that you apply to your life and you try to then judge or coerce somebody, somebody else's life based off yeah. of your own understanding. And, uh, you know, that's not treating people the way you want to be treated, because <laughs> right. if you allow yourself the own leniency to interpret how these texts apply to your life, you should then extend that very same right to, to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, this sense of the, the, the spirit of coercion and bullying and peer pressuring people in areas of faith uh, is really counterproductive. You know, yeah. Jesus never operated in that way. Right. Uh, he just made sure that he had a good product and uh, his product was so good that people just couldn't turn away from it. Uh, and I think that that's where we need to turn back to. If we 
are doing the work of ministry, if we are helping people who have uh, been forgotten, if we are serving those who are less than and least, if we are uh, standing in solidarity with those who are oppressed, we, we're not going to have enemy, enemies from these people who we're helping. People are going to understand uh, mm -hmm. the value of uh, what we're bringing to the table. But if we're fighting uh, about uh, who somebody should love, if we are demonizing someone because of the life choices that they make, if we are touting our nose up in the air because we feel like we're better than somebody else, then yes, that does open us up to a level of critique that we lose people and people uh, just don't have time to be putting up with people who are hypocritical and judgmental. So there's a quote uh, by a, name, a man by the name of uh, E. Dewey Smith, the pastor in Atlanta, and he says, uh, you can't uh, evangelize and antagonize at the same time, which means you can't try to bring somebody in your tent and be highly critical of who they are and what they represent at the same time. And so I definitely think that's something we have to uh, begin to take seriously. I agree. <clears throat> and, the, and you reminded me of the point. I often feel that it's ironic that Jesus Christ, often referred to as the son of God, was the most humble mm -hmm. individual and open-minded mm -hmm. whereas these human beings were the just most judgmental and, and egotistical yeah i'm like this is the son of god and he's associating himself with people from all walks of life like you said not condemning telling if you do this then this is what will happen yeah. and i trying to scare you just like look i'm here for you i'm trying to show you how to be the best version of you yeah. whereas this human being who you know, it's just out of like material wealth or whatever it is who look down upon these people not realizing that they're human beings themselves. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't always who you were. And even if you are, you should use that advantage to help someone else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's instructive, not condemning. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that definitely uh, is the case. And I mean, you know, even beyond that, uh, you know, in, in trying to connect with those who, you know, Jesus came to help. Uh, I think that where we sit in history helps us to be able to understand that a little bit better because when we look at how society has treated the legacy of Dr. King, you know, that Dr. King was a protester. He was an activist and an adjutant uh, that during the time that he lived, he wasn't popular. Uh, I think that in 1964, he actually had uh, more people who disapproved of him than actually approved of him, even closer yeah. to the Vietnam War. I mean, people just really didn't like Dr. King. But after his death, there was this ability to co-opt his legacy and to embrace him into the American society. And so he became this American figure. And now we hear all the times, like when protesters now protest, people ridiculously will use the Dr. King quote against the protesters as if that would, is reality. Yeah. I mentioned all that to say mm -hmm. that that's a, that is instructive to us of how Jesus' legacy may have been treated. Mm -hmm. That when he lived, he stood against the church. He stood against the people who were supposed to be religious. He stood against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He stood against the temple. But once he died, the temple co-opted him. Mm -hmm. And so they took his words, his message, and his ministry, and they began to make him less of a radical figure than he actually was in the Bible during the time that he lived. And so the same way that we get angry about Martin Luther King not being seen in his full light, not being understand in his full complement, is the same way we can look at Jesus and, right. and see that we're oftentimes being presented with one person's narrow perception of who this figure is versus the very um, uh, full and uh, uh, holistic um, view of, of Jesus' life and ministry. 
Yeah, you made a great point, man. I agree with you. I just find it very interesting. I think that history repeats itself because people refuse to change. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have the same type of people. You know, you have your ambitious people, you have your followers, you have your innovators. And it's throughout history, those people, these great individuals weren't appreciated. Or I'm not, not all of some people actually get the chance to get there. Do yeah, yeah, because <laughs> that's very it's discouraging. Rare. Yeah, yeah, very rare. <laughs> that's though. discouraging because it's like that. I think that goes to give people their flowers where they're here. Because what sense does? Well, I'm not gonna say what sense does it make because at least they did put that work in and leave something behind. Mm-hmm. But I feel that because I think that goes to without vision, people perish yeah. and lacking limitation. Because you shouldn't have to. It shouldn't have to come to such extremities. That they're gone and they're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. It'd be like, they didn't have to, <laughs> actually, they didn't have to go that way. Yeah. yeah. But because you chose to ignore it and you chose not to evolve. And I mean, and that that's actually not, I'm not going to say people didn't choose. Like, like I said, you're not responsible for what you don't know. Some people just don't have certain examples and might not, you know, so it's a toss up. I just think it's weird that too often that happens. Yeah. And, and another challenge that we face is like individual choices and decisions in, uh, light of systemic forces so oftentimes people believe that they're acting out of their own agency and they're making their own decisions but little mm-hmm. did they know that those decisions has already been pre-determined <laughs> uh, for them right. and so oftentimes even in our own society because of the way uh, systemic factors of oppression of capitalism uh, operate you know Oftentimes we are we we are puppets uh, mm-hmm. in the larger system, and so our individual choices and decisions, although it may uh, make us, sometimes we try to ascribe the problems that exist in society to individual choices and decisions, when oftentimes it's larger uh, forces at play. Uh, case in point, uh, the sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago uh, entitled "Views from the Margin." I was trying to be cute and use a little Drake title. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it was about the man at the side of the road. He was a blind man at the side of the road. And I've heard that sermon preached a number of times. And But I was really pulled by the fact that I wanted to wrestle with why was he at the side of the road? Why did, did this blind man be relegated to the side of the road? And I determined that it's because society at that time did not have systems in place to take care of somebody who was born differently able, somebody who was born different than. And so when you were born with a disability or born differently able, society didn't know what to do with you. So you just ended up at the side of the road. Nobody wanted to take care of you. Nobody looked after you. And so uh, oftentimes, and so in the text, in the story, the crowd walks by Mm -hmm. and they, you know, kind of criticize this man for being at the side of the road. And I guess what I was wrestling with is it's one thing to look at that man and try to assume that him being at the side of the road was because of his own choices. When in reality, it was a result of society's inability to handle somebody who was different than. And I think that that exists all throughout our community. Even the worst statistics that we see in our neighborhoods, whether it's violence or poverty or uh, 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 lack of uh, uh, health care and things of that nature. These things are not results of individual decisions. You know, that mother who is trying to feed her child off of uh, uh, state services, is that's not by her own choosing. It's societal factors that has uh, predicated her to these limited choices uh, that she's trying to do the very best she can uh, in order to uh, sustain and survive. So that's the crazy thing. You know, all the time we talk about individual choices, mm-hmm. but we always have to be mindful that those things exist uh, uh, within the framework of societal factors. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And that goes back to what you mentioned earlier, you know, the importance of staying properly informed. Yeah. Because uh, one of my mentors down in Louisiana, Dr. Calvin Mackey, uh, 
he said something that stuck with me when I was like 14. And it was like, um, you get paid for what you know and you pay for what you don't know. Yeah. And that's why I try to learn as much as possible so I can be proactive instead of reactive. Yeah. You know, because that's why I feel it's too much reactive behavior. Yeah. You know, a lot of things can be prevented if somebody had more knowledge or more access to certain information. Yeah. And so, like, but it comes down to that's why. I try to be open-minded because, like you said, you can't hold anybody accountable if you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And another thing that I think we have to do is we have to elevate the knowledge of experience. Because we live in a Western society that prioritizes Western education, particularly can be translated as white people's knowledge, mm -hmm. we have uh, the academy has diminished the uh, knowledge base that is in experience, in lived experience. And so what do I mean? And as I'm in the classroom, very rarely do I meet the knowledge uh, that my grandmother has given me through her experience. Very rarely do I meet the sort of knowledge uh, that uh, my mentors have given me uh, through my experience because it's very academic and book driven. You know, they try to diminish how important experiences is. Mm -hmm. So I say that to say that even in communities where somebody didn't go to college or somebody has not uh, pursued uh, the uh, traditional academic uh, career, don't demean what you know because a lot of what you know is not based off of what you read but based off of what you have experienced what you've lived mm -hmm. and that um, the, the knowledge that you gained from what you have lived is just as valid and useful and transformative as any knowledge that you would get out of reading in the book because what oftentimes what I found is, is the knowledge that we engage in the academy ignores us I mean our voices are really diminished I mean they're not talking about black people when I'm reading a uh, Karl Barth or I'm reading Paul Tillich or I'm reading Reinhold Niebuhr these uh, uh, famous theologians they're not talking about what's going on in Detroit or in Philly or in Chicago and so I think that uh, it is important for all of us to remind it whatever um, your life's path has been your life experience has given you a knowledge that as you stated you are responsible to act according based based on that knowledge well, that's interesting you said that <clears throat> first of all I want to say thank you for speaking on my behalf because as a college dropout and taking a different route from the beginning while I was excited that I realized that I had a purpose at 19 I was often ridiculed and discouraged mm -hmm. from following what was placed within me you know so I find that interesting it's like first the thing people would say on different levels whether it's my peers or you know older traditional formal uh path takers it's like what school you go to oh, i'm not in school yeah. you need to be educated who said i wasn't educated yeah yeah i read more than the average exactly. <laughs> uh, individual exactly. exactly and that's why i was like that's like that goes into what you talked about experiences that's why i take my experiences and share them with others to let them know like you know you can be an individual and be successful like you never know who you're talking to you know, if you if you don't take the time to listen to somebody. Yeah, exactly. It's not what you do, it's about how you go about doing it. And so that's why I respect and admire people like you because you treat me as an individual. You know, you have a great resume and a great body of work. And on paper, look, it's amazing. But then outside of that, you are also an individual who takes the time. That's how I know you actually care about, you know, the people are under great leadership with you, you know. And that's why I pay attention to the way people maneuver, you know, so I appreciate that. Well, I will be sending you a, a check in the mail. Wait, <laughs> checks. We, we owe. That's too old. I got a cash app. <laughs> Vimo. <laughs> right, right. 
But yeah, man, it's very admirable. I love what you're doing. Like, uh, you're an inspiration to me. And it's just great to see people evolve. And, and like, I love to see people successful, but especially from where you're from. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's always, you know, that's that's why we do this as well. You yeah. know, this is a, a outlet. And, you know, my door is always open. Yeah. Now, I'm always humbled at, at the uh, request to be invited to, to share. You know, I don't uh, think of myself as somebody who... Uh, has uh, any particular special knowledge, you know, I think the people would be a foddering to hear. But, you know, uh, to have the opportunity to uh, kind of contemplate and process some things that I've been wrestling with in my mind and, and be validated when you say, yeah, that's a good point, or I was thinking the same way, is always uh, important. And I think that it goes to the point that President Obama said in his farewell speech, but not necessarily the same context when you talk about if you're tired of yelling at people or arguing with people online, you know, try speaking to them in real life. And I'm not necessarily saying that, but what I am saying is, is that these sort of conversations should be happening more often. We should really be opening ourselves up to sitting down with one another, dialoguing, so that we can determine what's the best um, method and means for us to get to where we want to get to as a community, as a people. Um, and so I, I think that your listeners would agree uh, that we are very appreciative to you for this platform and allowing um, us to learn from other people's stories and experiences from varied walks of life. I mean, before the show was starting, you was telling me about somebody who was working in fashion and uh, working with a hip hop artist, and then now you're talking about now you're talking to a preacher. So <laughs> exactly. you're giving your uh, yeah. listeners a, a great range that I think is is uh, extremely edifying, and I, I think we all are appreciative of it. Uh, thank you, man. The feeling is mutual, and I agree because. Um, I talk about it often on air and off air that conversation is a lost art, mm -hmm. you know, and and I'm old school. So the people who know me, like I have a proper balance, but I prefer to talk with people as a like I will I will, I will communicate with you through your personal preference. Mm -hmm. But mine is through actual words and it don't have to be in person. You know, the more. The more real, the better. But you know, I, I like to have long phone conversations, yeah, yeah. in-depth in, uh, in phone conversations. You know, some some things with technology, the emotion isn't there. Yeah, you know, so yeah. somebody may tell you something serious, but you can't really tell. I can't tell your tone through yeah, text. Yeah, you know, and I just like to feed off of people's energy, and you know, it's. But that's what I'm doing. I'm doing it, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. be the change that you see. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. I could sit around talking about, I wish I could talk with people, but I do it on a daily. And it became a, a, a source of income. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that, that may be one of the many points that we coalesce around is, uh, you know, that sense of be the change, you know, and, and that's what motivated me to make this move. Again, Detroit is in my heart. It is in mm -hmm. my blood. It is in my soul. I can't remove it i'm in new york now for school and people always be like you know are you gonna go back to detroit and with i mean before they even get the question out it's like yes immediately <laughs> right. like oh you don't want to stay in new york i mean no offense against new york but no i'm a detroiter it's just something about it and so i want to be able to you know help my community i mean that's i don't i don't say that flippantly i don't say that without substance i really am fueled and passion impassioned by wanting to serve and to help uh, my community. And so I, I truly honestly believe that Detroit is, is on its way to being a model, uh, not only for the country, but for the world. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be us, you know, our generation. Yeah. It's going to be the, some of the leaders in doing so. And, and not to say that our generation would have done it, because obviously we're standing on the shoulders of the Coleman Youngs and 
uh, of the um, Joanne Watsons and uh, and of the Gill Hills and the like. Mm -hmm. But yet, you know, our generation will be the one carrying the baton, uh, hopefully, to Detroit's uh, uh, resurrection and emergence in a way that provides prosperity, not just for a certain community, uh, but for all of Detroit's population. I'm definitely with you because I believe in, like, because, like you mentioned, like, the way has been paved for us. And that's why I go so hard. And I'm sure that's what you, one of your inspirations, because a lot of sacrifices have been made for us to even dream about pursuing the paths exactly. that we're on. And for the people who didn't make it and for the people who don't know how to, that's what that's where we come in and we're doing it. And we're not only leading by example, but we're taking advantage of the examples that were provided for us. Like, you don't have to go all the way back to slavery. You just mentioned like the Coleman yeah, Youngs, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like 70s, 80s. Always yeah, yeah. along the way is somebody. So you factor that in. That's why it's important that we figure out what our purposes are and step out here because if not, it's just a waste of hard work. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I would encourage anybody out there who is seeking that purpose, like, oh, that's easy to say, but how do I find my purpose? And I agree, to find it is yeah. difficult. I mean, the world is noisy. Uh, and you are embedded with a lot of images uh, and the light that can distract you and have you on a number of different paths. Uh, but what I will say is, is relinquish yourself from the idea that you're going to make money. Right? If you can get that out of your way and you think about what really makes you come alive despite money, then you may be on your way. Uh, to finding your purpose because another quote uh, again by Howard Washington Thurman uh, he says uh, do not ask uh, what the world needs ask what makes you come alive mm. because what the world needs is people who are alive and at the end of the day I feel like that's what's going to help us when we have found people who are awakened to their purposes in life uh, despite uh, the designs of society get you caught up in this capitalist system where it's about making money and production and things of that nature but no really about living a valuable life uh, then I think that we all will find a level of uh, joy and prosperity uh, that we might have thought was unimaginable All right. and on that note that was well said and I appreciate you man you know uh, we got some great things coming up soon uh, what's the best way for people to stay in contact with you? Yeah, social media. I'm on Facebook, Quantes Presley. You can hit me up on uh, the IG, Q Presley, and then uh, Twitter. But I'm not really on Twitter like that, but Q Presley uh, as well. Cool, man. We appreciate everybody for taking the time to be a part of the Chris Massey Show. We have a great things in store for you for this 2017. And you want to stay updated with me. Everything is Chris Massey Show. That's Instagram, SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook page. And we'd appreciate if you subscribe to the Chris Massey Show podcast on iTunes as well. And I want to say a special thanks to the official sponsor of the Chris Massey Show, the inspirational lifestyle brand, Legendary. And their motto is believers become innovators, innovators become legendary. They have some great things coming up for you in 2017 as well. They're connecting dream seekers and innovators via apparel. So you can follow them on Instagram and like their Facebook page at LGNDRE. And thanks to Dr. Ellingsworth representing the group Detroit City for this segment. Excuse me, for this segment's instrumental. Once again, Quantez Presley, always a pleasure. Pleasure's mine. Looking forward to having you back. Stay blessed. Peace.
sun sizzling through my window. I peep the tempo. You talk up on the endo. When life comes to crescendo, we play the smooth. I got the heart to make it. I'm Liam Neeson for my people. Mine ain't for the taking. Talking kindness. Some get blinded by boastful shine. The coldest nigga ever still couldn't predict the climate. Times a wrinkle till they keep that ironing. Press it dining. It was tucked away like a handkerchief in pocket lining. Can't define it. Racial signage. How we up, but we still declining. Black is gold, but we strive for diamonds. Zion's close, I just pray you find it. And send word to the left behind it. Overwhelmed and undermined it. Instead of guns, I got knowledge you should blow your mind with. Don't be late for the vibing. Check your time, and we all got a lane of our own. Watch your driving. Every pool ain't meant for diving. Every groove ain't meant for sliding. Don't confuse hustling with surviving. Life is far from a game with quick reviving. Only mothers crying over kids dying while they trying to make a living. In a world of bill collectors, forever billing. While the rest on the bed of life, looking at the ceiling as the fan blow. Man, this sheet rock ain't appealing. Uh, I want a house up on the hill, mama. Uh, it ain't safe where I live, mama. Uh, the gunshots give me chills, mama. Uh, the candy lady move from here, mama. Uh, I got a partner that got a shot and he down to make it. But if them feds pass the rock, I pray he never take it. But I know the feeling of wanting to win in life, so a wrong becomes a right. Then we roll the dice. It's crazy that I'm in this situation. Cause my bills don't get paid by occupations. And it ain't that we didn't get education. Just wasn't no jobs after graduation. And I ain't saying that this job don't work. My boss don't chill, someone might get hurt Because I tell them right, they think I'm wrong And they want me gone mm -hmm. I can't live the life that I wanna live I can't give the bread that I wanna give Pressure's on me and the weight is grown But I'm gonna make it on my own Try to ride around with my tie blue Work from the sun till I see the moon Gunshots rang out, I could barely sleep All I hear is the police What you gonna do when they come for you? Work ain't enough just to pay the bills What you gonna do when they come for you? Take what's mine, cause they never give